Greetings once again, my friends, and welcome back to Why We Geek, the show where we take a piece of geek culture and we dissect it, we, we analyze it, we show you guys especially why we love it. And in some cases, we have to show a little bit of tough love, and that might actually be the case here today, too, as, as the discussion topic that we have is for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, since we've already had the third Avengers movie come out and we've kind of hit the pinnacle of where that story can go, although we do have potential for more, we're going to go over the last... 10 years, man, it's, that just blows my mind. 10 years of Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. And first of all, let's go ahead and start off with the panel that we do have, which is actually returning from the Infinity War review. So Alex the Shadow Blazer, how are you doing now that we're talking about anything other than Infinity War? Do you feel like you got it out? <laughs> yeah, I think I did. All right. Uh, and then we also have Stephen Romney of Studio Ghost Utah to once again discuss uh, things aside from Infinity War, do you do you feel like you got it all out? Uh, yeah, I think my brain is happy to kind of to get that out of my system because, oh, well, I'm glad I'm glad that we do these now. Like ever since we did Ghostbusters, it just feels like cathartic to start with the spoiler stuff and get it out of the way. Well, yeah, because it it helps that way. You can it also allows us to organize our thoughts a little bit better. Yeah. And given that I'm also still in the process of trying to finish a novel, it's a case of okay, I won't have all the Infinity War stuff rattling in my head when trying to write this novel. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, let, let's get into the subject matter here. Ten years. Um, I, I can't even begin to count all of the movies that have come into this. We've had three phases, and even then the third phase is not technically complete, uh, as I believe Captain Marvel is the last one in it. And then we go on into full, full phase four. And actually, even the next Avengers might have been added into it. But ten years worth of Marvel movies where... Marvel has kind of rewritten their history when it comes to superhero movies. Originally, it was DC that kind of reigned here. Batman movies did really, really well. Superman back in the 80s did really well. But in the 90s and the 2000s, it's, it's not been so certain. And in light of that, Marvel basically revamped everything, did their own studio, did everything the way that they wanted to. And have kind of made every everybody, not just DC, made everybody run for their money as they have been kind of the cash cows as we see Marvel movies breaking le records left and right now. Mm -hmm. um, so let's go ahead and start things off with the Marvel Cinematic Universe of uh, what was your first Marvel Cinematic Universe movie? And then also what was the one that hooked you into uh, that concept? Now, one of the one of the issues that we have here is that Romney, you embargo Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. But I mean, there were movies that you liked in there. Well, yeah, so. there were movies I liked. It was just that it got to a point where doing a review where I'm just reviewing movies regularly. Doing, doing roughly the same kind of formula. Yeah, it was a case where doing a review of the Marvel movies, one, I didn't really get that many views. And two, yeah. there just wasn't a discussion to be had. It was just the same cycle of hype. Everyone mm -hmm. kind of just reaffirming the hype. And it was basically it didn't give me anything to actually discuss. I mean, doing a group review is different because I have people I can bounce off yes. of. But when yeah. doing a review on my own, it was just it was just the same song and dance. And it's a case of if all these movies feel the same and I'm basically saying the same damn thing, then what the hell is the point? And also the fact that we're we're doing this with with our audience, with the podcast audience that that has come to check us out, that also helps out and we can get their their interactions, even though we're not necessarily doing this live. But I agree with you. Like I, I do game reviews and in some cases it feels like you're a drop in the pond because I'll, I'll guarantee that anybody who goes to see your movie or your movie reviews probably also went and saw Andre the Black Nerd's review and, yeah, and, and also saw all the other people. That and there was just kind of, and it was, and this was kind of something I ran into when I announced the embargo where people were saying I was looking at reviews wrong. And the, <laughs> to kind of give context, I started reviewing movies for the college paper because what a lot of people don't realize is that Salt Lake Community College, there are a lot of people who are parents. And so I was kind of writing the reviews yeah. for people who were parents, who had families, who didn't have the disposable income to see a movie every week. And so I wrote in the context of, okay, is this movie that I'm reviewing worth your money, worth your time? Yes. Is this worth investing it in? And why or why not? That was always the conceit of it. And so that was why I was, that was how I approached it as in the context of someone looking the reviews up before going in to see okay, do I want to spend money to see this movie or do I want to go and put it towards this other movie and get more for my money? Because again, I grew up during the, like during the economic crisis, the housing, when the housing bubble burst. Mm -hmm. And so that was very much the mindset I was approaching it. 
But then people were saying, yeah. oh, no, like, you're you're thinking about reviews wrong. And I'm just like, that that's what reviews were initially for, was letting people know whether or not a product is good. I get that, too. And it, it annoys the crap out of me. It's just like, no, you need. And basically what the, the argument ties down to, if they're not talking about how you how you look at your approach to reviews, they're usually going along along the lines of you need to go with the more successful people or in, in the way they coin it, the smarter people. So in, in the case of game reviews, I have to agree with every single gaming site out well, there. And, and I don't agree in that plan it's especially rich when i got a lot of these comments from people that i knew for a fact didn't watch a single one of my damn videos and so it's a case of yeah. wh who are you to say what what i can do with my content if you're not watching any of the other ones so why should i value your opinion if you're not actually following me well and, and here's the thing that even alex can kind of agree kind of agree on is that you know, occasionally, like, we will go into the mainstream stuff. So I've reviewed Zelda. I've reviewed God, or I'm reviewing God of War right now. I'm doing all that stuff. You you do those mainstream reviews, and one of the reasons you do it is because then you have that rapport with your audience so that at that point, if they're considering going to see something like, I don't know, Shape of Water or something more experimental, and they see you've done a review on it, mm -hmm. they will trust it based on you. And that's, that's a harder sell. And Alex, you probably even attested this, too, because... You don't tend to go down the mainstream route. You kind of you kind of go for the the whole concept of I will review these animes and hopefully you get that rapport yeah. from me. Um, now, granted, in in recent years you've done things like Cowboy Bebop and being able to have a little bit more of a mainstream take, but you kind of do the exact same thing. You kind of rely on that name being all that people need to to check out this anime. Yeah. So. Um, but, but again, back to, into the first question that we have here and let's, let's go ahead and start things off with the guy who kind of embargoes things. And by the way, for the record, so, I don't know if it's your audience or, or just people who watch some people thought I was personally responsible for the embargo. I don't know why. No, I mean, people... and, and then they get mad at me because apparently I have embargo breaking privileges because yeah. I bring you to Avengers. Well, yeah. And <laughs> base to kind of explain to kind of disclose it here, Adam had nothing to do with the no. embargo. This was kind of a decision I made. I agreed with you on it. Well, yeah, and the decision it was because I was paying to see these movies out of pocket. And the yeah. other aspect of the embargo people also forget is if I get into an advanced screening, meaning if I'm getting to see it ahead of release, then yeah, I'll review it because I'm getting to see it ahead of release. Of course, I'm going to jump on that and do a exactly. review because that's mm -hmm. free traffic. I mean, that's what happened when I got to see Maze Runner before it came out. I got a whole bunch of views for that Maze Runner review. Yeah it was ahead of release and so if i'm going to a press screening then yes i'll review it because it's a press screening and so mm -hmm. for saying to full stop adam had nothing to do with it it was my own decision and here's the I, I think you brought it to us before you even made your video didn't you uh no i i pretty much just posted okay, it yeah. i just posted the video straight up although i accidentally mislabeled some of it and alex pointed out that i mislabeled it because i posted the video alongside my april in the extraordinary world review Oh, yeah. OK. And so I had to go in and correct it. Some people thought I was being facetious and like, oh, here's the reason why. And oh, it's a review of this other movie. And it was just an honest mistake. <laughs> but but here's the thing. Yeah, we upload stuff on YouTube. This crap happens. Well, yeah. And here's the thing. This is coming from someone who loved superhero movies growing yes. up. I mean, it wasn't just a case of, oh, what was the one movie that hooked me? I mean, I was someone who would go watching the X-Men movies when they came out, watching Daredevil, watching all of these other superhero movies, both from Marvel and DC. And so it wasn't even a case of, oh, one specific movie hooked me. That was the genre I went to because back when I was a kid, superhero movies were events because they rarely happened because of how much of a risk they posed. Yeah, exactly. And they were even rarer when, when I was growing up. Well, yeah, because yeah. I, I even remember the concerns we all had when Disney bought Marvel because we thought, oh, well, what's going to happen? Because, again, the first, I guess, technically the first MCU movie I saw was Iron Man. And mm -hmm. so I, that was where, I, where a lot of people started was with Iron Man. And that was a case of, okay, because we didn't think in terms of the cinematic universe, because again, they didn't openly announce it. It was just no. a case of, hey. Because this, it, wasn't, it wasn't a thing. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't a thing. It was just a case of, hey, this is just a solid movie we're doing. And then after that, we got the Ed Norton Incredible Hulk, which my siblings and I, we were kind of under the pretense it was a sequel to the Ang Lee film, just given that it starts... You, you weren't the only ones there. There, and, there was actually articles saying that it was well, yeah, and, and being wrong. And the way the film starts out makes you think that because, again, the, the Ang Lee film with Eric Bana ends with him in Brazil, and so yeah. the Marvel Cinematic Universe version starts with him in Brazil. And so it was a case of, okay, it it, it very much was a soft reboot. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of that, you then have Tony Stark meeting with Thunderbolt Ross after the credit sequence of, like, 
of it's very much a case of okay you've got like in this bar thing and then it's like oh there's tony stark and that made a lot of us just go oh my god these movies are connected and i remember i think it was in the post-credit scenes of iron man where it's like okay you've got these people gathering around this crater and then we see mjolnir we're just like oh wait what they're doing thor next yeah exactly and so that was kind of and so we were i naturally kind of followed that cycle hype because i was in high school when iron man came out but that was kind of where we were i was already someone who would watch any and every superhero movie as it came out good and bad yeah although there were some i missed not because we avoided them but just because of happenstance and i'm kind of glad we avoided them <laughs> case in point green lantern but yeah and so this is not i'm not like one of those oh i hate superhero movies no i love i love superhero movies but we all have have to acknowledge that this kind of concept happens is that the, the even superhero movies get formulaic yeah it, and mm-hmm. so at that point it for for a film critic especially when you're doing it on your own dime it doesn't make sense for you to go and review something of the same formula, especially as you could take something on, especially in the uh, Alex might agree with me on this. Like in, in, in film, there's a lot more risk takers mm-hmm. in, in that than there are in anything like anime. They don't necessarily take a lot of risks because of the animation costs and because of labor and everything like that. Games are kind of the same way. Um, and so at that point, like your money would be more, much better spent and hence why I agreed with the embargo is like it's seeing the more experimental takes and seeing your viewpoint on them. Well, yeah, instead. And that's why I went through that period where I would basically be because I used to work at a downtown job and I would go to the Broadway Center cinemas. They're a theater run by the Salt Lake Film Society. They focus on showing those like independent, those foreign films, films you don't normally get to see. Yeah. And there's just been a whole lot of films I never would have seen had it not been for them. And it was something that started with a professor at Slick who, like, I mean, a film that kind of set me on the path to try to expand my horizons a bit was a sh- was when in class we watched a film called To Live by Zhang Yimou. Yeah. And so it was kind of a case of, I it once I had seen other films and kind of broadened my horizons a bit, reviewing the same sort of stuff over and over again got kind of stale. And, and what else can you add to that formula? Like, I, I swear, like, the, the biggest problem when, when you and I, Alex, would take on, like, a brand new superhero film you know for a fact that the first film is going to be an origin story. So what what can you talk about it? It's one of those things where I like the fact that Doctor Strange changed that formula a little bit so that we had something to talk about from it. Um, so we, we have your first being Iron Man. What was your first, Alex? My first was also Iron Man. All right. So we, we've all technically been there from the start. Um, and I, I will say, like, just to kind of couple with Romney and everything like that, you probably even have the same experience of, you know, we did have superhero films coming out few and far between. And when you took them on, it was just like you wanted to support them so we could get more of them, even if they weren't the greatest things cinematically. I mean, you know, I haven't necessarily seen all of Batman 89 and that's that's a good example. But then you wanted to support things like Daredevil because you wanted to see more of it. And even even though, like, we have to acknowledge later that is it the greatest thing ever? No, it really isn't. Um, Electra also had the same problem. Mm-hmm. I tend to have a different point of view from a lot of people where I like the the original Fantastic Four movie that we got. I don't like Rise of the Silver Surfer and I don't like Fan Four Stick. I just think that fa- there, there's enough silliness in Fantastic Four to remind me of the comics kind of thing. Well, yeah, and, and it's also just a case where a lot of where even with film franchises, but that, for the record, don't like Doom <laughs> well, in any of the movies. Well, yeah, and then <laughs> that and there's just a case with even with more successful superhero franchises like the sam raimi spider-man films yeah they had two successful films but then you had studios running them into the ground with the third one always being the weakest because they did the same thing to x-men and see for me like i mean um where it came to the sam raimi spider-man films i mean i liked the first one because that's what we had at that moment but when i saw the second one with alfred molina I immediately hated the first one after that point because I liked what they did in Spider-Man 2 better. And then three happened. I'm just like, uh, Tobey Maguire, you are no longer allowed to have black hair and go emo ever again. Especially because after that, we hit a bit of a dry spell that was only broken a little bit by Batman Begins in the Dark Knight. And then with Marvel (laughs) being a bit more aggressive with their films, it kind of became a case of, okay, it's becoming... And you kind of you could kind of attest to this, like when we got to the Garfield Spider-Man films. I liked the first one. I think I liked it more than you, didn't I? You, with yeah, the you they probably went. did. I th- I thought it was fine. And but... then two, like I ragged on that one because it, like that to me that was Spider-Man three all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I mean a lot of this stuff has been hit and miss, and it actually for a long time I actually I, I believed that the only successful superhero films were animated ones because even then like. 
again, I haven't seen all of Batman 89, so I can't really judge it <laughs> or returns for that matter. They're, they're both going to be dark and that's where Batman needs to go. But like forever Batman and Robin, not necessarily the best things to go off of. And around that time was when we got a lot of animated films that looked really, really good. So I was very happy when, um, and literally like we, me and me and my dad, both very hardcore Iron Man fans followed a lot of the stuff going into Iron Man and trust me, guys, there was stuff we didn't like. When we heard that Robert Downey Jr. got cast, when the rumors were Tom Cruise, we were flipping out. We did not like the pick. We, um, My dad didn't care about the Gwyneth, Gwyneth Paltrow casting for Pepper Potts. I hated it because like, she just didn't fit Pepper to me. In fact, the other casting point that had been brought up to me was Scarlett Johansson, a very, a very new and up and coming Scarlett Johansson. I was like, I am so for that because she'll be able to play the spunk better. And now I'm glad I didn't get what I wanted because eventually we got Black Widow out of it. So, uh, I mean, there, there was stuff to, to be able to look into. So that, what I'm getting into after 15 minutes of this <laughs> is just like, yeah, we, we've all had a, a very interesting experience walking into this. And and we've all been hooked, whether it be uh, in the embargoed sense with Romney, because you have seen movies outside of the embargo. You just haven't reviewed. Them. Well, yeah, because that's a key thing is that I wanted to kind of get it back to where I would watch the movies for my own enjoyment, not yeah. think in the mindset of, oh, I'm watching this to review it. I wanted to have fun again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and so at that point, I, I want to kind of go into the 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 next question of, that we usually kind of couple with the first is which one would you consider to be? the best in like the best in, in, in a doing everything that you wanted to see happen in not necessarily the formula, but in a Marvel film. Um, and I would actually dare say, and a lot of people are going to freak out by this. Like for me, it didn't get better. Like I like a lot of the Marvel films, but what are, what Iron Man did was so good that a lot of things couldn't top that until the formula got tilted on its head with Dr. Strange. I like the fact that they took that origin story. The stuff, like, can you think of anything that got more formulaic in these films than origin stories? Mm -hmm. um, even the sequels like had room to grow and they could do other things. I, I'm very much on the record that Captain America did what Superman couldn't with Winter Soldier. Um, but the fact that Doctor Strange, they said, you know what? We do have kind of a formulaic origin story. Let's tilt it on its head. Let's actually try and tell this from a different perspective to introduce this character. Um, so in a lot of cases, that would be one of the one of the better ones to me. I mean, I'd also highlight Winter Soldier, considering what it actually was able to do, considering how many people hated uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, and now absolutely love Cap, absolutely love him. Uh, so at that point, that, that would be the best that I would consider. Alex, where would you be? What do, what do you consider to be the best Marvel Cinematic Universe film? I think for me, the best would be Civil War, because okay. it's the first it's definitely one of the the first superhero movies, like say outside the Dark Knight, to really weigh the the consequences of of these very powerful heroes. Yes, some have superpowers, and some are just really intelligent and can build big machines. and And you also see the fallout of a previous film. It doesn't just feel like the reset button's been hit and something new's happening. No, you see that. Considering how many heroes are involved, it feels like Captain America three. Yeah, it feels like you mean Avengers three. Um, I would actually say like uh, uh, Civil War is like Avengers two point five, right. roughly. <laughs> yeah, but I'm saying like what Captain America Civil War was supposed to be is it was supposed to be like all of them were getting trilogies and this was going to be Captain America three. Right. So despite okay. all the people being involved, it still felt like there was a focus on Cap. Yeah, and and I think you you get a really good sense of both sides of the argument you get tony's argument you get captain america's argument and you see where both of them are coming from you see why they clash why they go head to head and so i really liked civil war for that okay and then what what would you consider to be your best Stephen well my favorite of the marvel cinematic universe films is winter soldier and the main reason is because compared to all the other marvel movies we'd received at that point where they all kind of felt the same this was the first and i think kind of the only time where instead of saying, oh, it's just an actor playing character on a set piece, said that this was where this film is where we actually got to see Steve Rogers as a character, as a person. It wasn't just Chris Evans in a costume. This was where yeah. Yeah. you saw where Cap stood as a person, as a former soldier. So, and, and actually accurately dealt with the dilemma that he's a man outside of time. Well, yeah, not even just that, but when you consider that the head of S.H.I.E.L.D., which 
we later learned was co-opted by Hydra with the whole, oh, we have these satellites that can survey the entire planet. And Cap is just like, that's not, that's not what I signed up for. This isn't why I fought in World War II. This is literally the exact opposite of what I fought for. And that was actually a really great way to show, like, because I, I don't think a lot of people got how evil Hydra was from his first movie. And the fact that they had infiltrated the organization that everybody had appreciated from the first Avengers film really helped that. Because at that point, it really it made Hydra out to be a very sinister organization. And I'll even compliment not just Winter Soldier, also the follow up stuff that happened in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. series showing like the just from the the common soldier perspective from S.H.I.E.L.D., just how much this fracturing hurt. Yeah. And so that's what and, and to kind of get back on the main point, that's kind of one thing that I noticed was a problem with the other Marvel movies early on is that. Every storyline in all the Marvel movies felt kind of the same where, oh, there's this threat that's threatening the entire world that is going to that they have to somehow stop. Whereas here it's a case of no, this is something Cap would specifically deal with, not just in the case of as Captain America, the hero or as an Avenger. It's a case of no, this is basically it very much was a political spy drama and it worked because it's a case of, OK, this actually feels like a unique film that is uniquely Captain America and not just another episode of the Avengers show. It's a case of, hey, we're seeing Cap as a character and learning how he thinks. Even the interplay between him and Natasha and seeing that, hey, we're both former soldiers. We're both spies. It very much, I mean, the comparison I kept making felt kind of like a like Marvel's take on Metal Gear Solid almost, where you yeah. basically had Captain America was big boss, a sol a, basically a great soldier out of time. Granted, unless they decide to go in a weird direction where there's like three clones of Captain America that, that are... That's Metal Gear Survive 2. Yeah, and so basically, <laughs> but basically that's why I like it is because where all the other films were so focused on either being exactly the same where it's like some world-ending event or yeah. trying to basically plant hints for future movies and using that as a means to plug up plot holes. Mm -hmm. Here it was a case of it was a nice self-contained experience that you actually saw the characters. You weren't seeing actors in a costume. These was... I didn't see Chris Evans just dressed up in a costume. It's like, no, this was Cap. This is Captain America. You see where he stood on a philosophical level, on a political level. And especially, like, they established that from the get-go where you have Falcon explaining, oh, yeah, like, I would have liked living in your time where heroes were heroes. And Steve is just like, no, you know what's nice? No polio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the, the other thing that I also want to point out because you brought up Chris Evans is, like, it's one of those things that I, it happens a lot in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm so happy to be wrong in, in a lot of those cases. Like I, I was against Robert Downey Jr. playing Tony Stark. I wanted Tom Cruise to be it. Now I'm so glad that Robert Downey Jr. plays him that I like I don't want Tom anywhere near. Yeah, I, the I don't see. I don't see how the film could have worked if it was Tom Cruise because Tom Cruise has that same problem where you don't see the character. You see Tom Cruise. Exactly. And, and the other thing that the, the other example that this happened was Chris Evans, because at that point, I'm like, Oh, the guy who played Johnny Storm in Fantastic Four. He's like the one thing I didn't like out of that movie. I hated I hated his performance of Johnny. But holy crap, did he work as Steve Rogers? Well, yeah, I'm kind of I was kind of in the opposite. He was one of the things I liked in that Fantastic Four. Like every, I, in the Fantastic Four by Constantine Films, everyone else was spot on except for the casting for Sue Storm. I did not like Jessica Alba as Sue Storm. I agree on that. She yeah. was miscast. Whereas with Chris Evans, I'm just like, okay, I'm willing to give I, it a... I honestly think the, the two best castings out of that were, uh, I'm not remembering it, him off the top of my head, but Mr. Fantastic, that was a perfect casting for him. And Michael Chiklis as, as the, the thing. That made sense. Yeah. But yeah, then you went into Chris Evans and Jessica Alba, and I'm just like, well, just, Jessica Alba's there just for strictly for TNA. Well, yeah, and with uh, Chris Evans, at least in terms of Johnny Storm as a character, it was a case of, okay, Johnny Storm's kind of the idiotic, pot-headed yeah. dumbass. That's his character, and I, and I thought... With the two films, Chris Evans was spot on with that because, well, yeah, he would play the hot-headed dumbass. Exactly. So, um, okay, so we've we've gone into the best of the 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 MCU has to offer, at least to us. Do we actually consider there to be a worst? Do we actually consider there to be a bad movie in the bunch? Now, I have a feeling Romney already has a look of like, <laughs> yes, I can think of one. Uh, I'll go ahead and start this off, and and I've been very vocal, and it hasn't changed. It's Spider Man Homecoming. I I have not liked that one, and it's simply because. Where I like um, Tom Holland being in things like Civil War and being a kid amidst a fight amongst Titans, um, and, and especially since uh, you guys can also listen to our Infinity War review, I love him in that. When we took him back to high school, it just, it, to me, it, it took away so much out of it, especially since we had to follow, because you and me both reviewed it, we both had the same problems, the same characters in there. 
And especially the reveal of Mary Jane is like, oh, screw you. I don't I don't agree with that at all, because I, I just can't see Mary Jane as emo and uh, and a bunch of other problems. So Spider-Man Homecoming would probably be my worst that has come along. And, and for all the people who give me crap, like I I get this a lot where I like I applaud all Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. In fact, all of my the last couple of years, uh, top threes, when we've done them, there's been a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie in there somewhere homecoming is the one where i i would say it's probably a worst alex where where do you stand i agree spider-man homecoming also would be my worst yeah it, it it just felt like it was such a weird turn to take him back into high school yeah see i grew up with the spider-man cartoon of the 90s on fox yeah. so i'm more used to peter and, parker's and, and, and adults oh yeah you're talking the fox one so at that point he was in college yeah so, yeah so you're, you're still talking peter parker in his 20s yeah mm-hmm. or you know the cartoon or the original sam raimi films or even the andrew garfield films dumped high school pretty quickly after the first one yeah they so, really did like how, how long was he in high school like the first 30 the minutes? first movie really the, just the, i think the first movie but even yeah, then it didn't because yeah, the first movie it. it's like i think only the first like 30 minutes is when he's in high school yeah because and, then, they, and then at that point he's he's out in the world well yeah because they because they, they even use and it was a scene that aldo and i talked about in our Rhapsody in Cinema, since we discussed the original Spider-Man by Sam Raimi about how the graduation scene was one of the good emotional punching moments of how Peter misses Uncle Ben, and it was his fault that he died, and that was a strength of that film. And so, but yeah, they dumped high school pretty quickly because it wasn't important to the the story at large. All right, and so so we're both on on Spider-Man Homecoming. We already got a look from Romney. (laughs) I'm going to let you loose. Well, here's the thing, like... I'm going to narrow it down to kind of one film that I would consider the worst just from a technical level, but there are a lot of problems with the Marvel Cinematic Universe at large I have a problem with. But in terms of if choosing one film that I would choose as the worst, (laughs) that would have to be Thor The Dark World, mainly because that film is just a whole lot of nothing. It really is, yeah. I mean, it's it doesn't establish anything. I mean, we didn't see any callbacks to it in Infinity War or any of the later films. It was just... It was just a one-off that... Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the, the people will make the argument like the Infinity Stone itself shows up, but at that point, it's like, you did, in that film, you didn't even know it was an Infinity Stone. It yeah. was like some goop. Not not to uh, mention like, that they wasted Christopher Eccleston, which is a real shame. He's a really talented yeah. actor, and yet they give him a character that basically does nothing. Like, literally, because I already had problems with Thor the first film, but at least it was a case of, okay, well, it's an introduction. I'm willing to let... And some of my problems with Dark World was that it tried to repeat a lot of things that I liked in the first Thor film, and I just felt like you were repeating. Well, yeah, and the other problem is that with Thor The Dark World, it was a case of, oh, they reworked a bunch of films because they didn't expect Loki to have as many fangirls as they ended up getting. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I understand trying to explore the dynamic between Thor and Loki somewhat, but it felt like you're literally reworking a whole third of the film just for the Loki fangirls. Yeah. And so if terms of one film that would be considered the worst, and given the fact that you didn't even remember it until I brought it up, kind of shows that Thor The Dark World basically is just a whole lot of nothing. It adds nothing and no one really remembers it. Do you know what's really sad is the most that I ever remember from The Dark World is uh, is the S.H.I.E.L.D. episode that we got out of it, where they're going in and cleaning it up. And the only reason I remember it is because the first 10, ep- 10 minutes of that episode, it's probably got a, a couple of good lines in there. Yeah. And, and, and at that point, it's like, and, and what's really sad is I like the Dark Elf aspect of Thor and I feel like it was a waste of yeah, opportunity. Like, it basically was a waste of trying to explore a lot of these different aspects of Asgard, of Yggdrasil, of basically the yeah. entire cosmology that is available. Which we thought Thor. we were going to get in Ragnarok and ultimately kind of didn't because they they needed to get Thor out into the Marvel space universe at large. Well yeah and so, and so in terms of film just from a structural and execution standpoint, that one is by far the weakest because you can tell they didn't really know what they were doing. Even yeah. back when it came out, a lot of people kind of agreed, yeah, it's not the greatest. It was actually kind of boring. Mm. And in terms of what led to the embargo and kind of my problems with the cinematic universe, this was when it started. This is when I started to notice, of, okay, I'm starting to notice the problems here. I'm starting to see the cracks in the armor here. Yeah, exactly. And so, although that was the st- that was a film I'd consider just from an objective, not, well, Objective is not the greatest word, but from a filmmaking standpoint, that's kind of the weakest. The film that broke me was Guardians of the Galaxy. Because again, I enjoyed it for what it was until the very last moment. Because again, it's like, okay, this is a nice, fun space romp. Okay, we have some seated elements of, oh, Peter Quill is not completely human. 
And then literally they have the line of, oh, well, maybe we should have taken his father after all. And it's just like, oh, no, he's there. And I'm just like, okay, of course, you're just going to throw that in there because, yeah, we're, we know we're getting a sequel. So we're going to use the fact that we completely ignored this, never mentioned that yeah. we were supposed to take him to his father in the first place. You're just like, you know, if you literally did not have that line and just let it end on, oh, Peter Quill's not entirely human and have that be the sequel hook, that would have been fine. But that was a case of you're literally saying, hey, folks, we're getting a sequel. And pretty much. Yeah, that, that was the film that broke me. That was when I'm just like, okay, the fact that they're going to use the fact that they're alluding to a larger universe, the fact that like that they know they're getting a sequel to use that as a justification to have plot holes, that was where well, I was and starting you're, to... You're talking about an Easter egg scene, right? So at that point... Oh, yeah, this was even before the credits. This was just literally a case of, okay, we're just going to like... Because they, because literally, like in the context, yeah. you had the Guardians of the Galaxy. They held the Power Stone. They kind of stood up to Ronan the Accuser, and then they're just like, "Oh, why didn't the stone blow up Peter Quill?" And they're just like, "Oh, well, you're half human." And they're just like, "Well, what the hell is this other half?" That would have been a good way to end it. That would have been the, that would have been the time to like, end. It. That would have been the time to end it. But no, just having Yondu saying, having the Yondu's crew saying, "Oh, maybe we should have taken him to his dad after all." Even though they were never established that they were supposed to during the entirety of the film, they just yeah. made it look like that Peter was abducted. And I'm just like, okay, you're going to throw that at us. Why? Just because you know you're getting a sequel? That was when it, the, that was when the movies were starting to break me because they were using the fact that it's an ex, part of an expanded universe and that the fact that a sequel was guaranteed as a means to just leave plot holes in the story. Yeah, exactly. And actually that, that, that brings up a kind of a gripe that, that I have. And, and one, uh, one of our listeners actually wanted us to bring up in this one is, um, do we, uh, let, let me see if I can phrase it properly. Do we think that there are elements that need to absolutely be in every single MCU movie? And, uh, and, and that, that's a harder question to answer because then you have to kind of dissect the formula, which is that, yes, you have like the overarching story, but then you have to have the obligatory Easter eggs. You have to have the obligatory Stan Lee appearance and, and all of that stuff needs to happen. But I tend to be on the case of like, of kind of what you're saying is like, not every movie needs to have that. Um, in, in fact, uh, some people who have listened to our infinity war review kind of have that, that aspect, uh, aspect of, you should have just ended on a, on a more somber note and guardians should have, should have not ended with that. And they should have left it open-ended just to, because you don't have to hand it a sequel every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would agree that there are some that don't necessarily need to have an Easter egg. And f- look, I, I know that we all laugh at the Stanley cameos and they're all silly, but the guy's 94. All right. At this point, I have no problem saying, you know, enough's enough Stanley. You don't have to do every single Marvel movie uh, to just to get a cameo in. But the, the biggest gripe that I would probably have is like, you don't need Easter eggs every single time. Yeah, or if stuff. you're going to do Easter eggs, keep it subtle. Don't yeah. use it to fill plot holes. Don't use the fact that we're going to get a sequel to not do a good job of telling the story you're telling. Yeah, exactly. Where, where would you stand on this one, Alex? Do you think that there are some things that don't need to be done every single time in a formula? I pretty much agree. You don't need to do the Easter egg, and I think you don't need to do the origin stories either. Um, we're, we're getting to a point where, yeah, I'm kind of there. Like I, I would actually not, I would be happy enough that, uh, Captain, like, cause Captain Marvel is going to have to have some kind of an origin explanation, but the, the hintings that we've already gotten is like, you're going to be getting into her, her life as it is right now. So at that point, if they did her as kind of the last origin, I think that would be appropriate. And well, then all you have to do is just say, you know, the world is littered with superheroes. Well, yeah. And I mean, there's a way to approach it, especially when you're establishing characters that don't have as much recognizability, like, say, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, people where that you already, need that. Yeah, where you need that. I mean, for example, if they were to bring the X-Men into the MCU, people kind of already know who the X-Men are. So yeah. you don't really need to you don't need to establish Xavier going and assembling the team. You could just have it be, oh, well, here's the school in Westchester. Here's the team we already have. I'm kind of glad you brought that up as a nice little segue because here's the next question that we're actually going to get into. Um, and a lot of listeners have actually asked us to address it, not just in in the Geek News podcast, but also here. And since we're talking about the MCU, it, it feels appropriate. Uh, recently, we've had the acquisition of... Uh, Disney not necessarily owning everything Fox, but they own a good portion of it. Yeah, basically they point. acquired all of the entertainment media. So they acquired yeah. 20th Century Fox. So that's basically feature films, television, some basically of the Disney channels. owns all things entertainment at this point. Yeah, all except and, the news. Like news, Rupert Murdoch kept separate from the yeah. deal. So basically Disney now owns everything else except for the news. But a lot of the Marvel properties that we wanted to see Marvel Studios take on, say like X-Men, Deadpool... 
Fantastic Four have all been held by Fox. Um, the only reason that we got Spider-Man Homecoming is because they, they'd worked out a deal. Yeah, more like strong-armed Sony into yeah, a deal in exactly. the wake of the Sony Act. So at that point, um, now that we have this deal in there, do we need to have the Fox movies integrate into the MCU? Uh, yes or no? And And I had to think long and hard about this, but given that the MCU has done so much to not establish mutants in their in their line in their timelines at all, I almost feel like you could treat X Men as kind of a separate property well, at this point. Not to mention that the X Men, and this is a problem because in the comics, all, because all you do at that point is you already make something that is a lot or a lot more complicated than any of us want to admit. Um, even more complicated. Well, yeah, the X Men are like the biggest contradiction in the Marvel universe at large, and it's a problem you run into in the comics where a lot of the major extinction level events they keep running into are somehow tied to the x-men yeah exactly so you, you run into that, that that problem quite a bit and let's start the let's start things off actually with alex where, where are you standing with it do you think the fox movie should be brought in no i don't think so because like you said there's too much i, think, I feel like they're their own continuity yeah point. it's really it's just too at this point it's too late to try yeah. and integrate them they're, you're just better off keeping things separate and keeping things different. Not to say you couldn't maybe see one or two in a team up, but you have to just make sure you don't try to like, you have to like bring it onto that level and you have to find a way to work around and, that. And honestly, the only team up that I, I'm more interested in having here is having Hugh Jackman come over. Like eventually just, because people want it. So at this point, let's just give it to him and have that moment and, and say that we did it. And, and, but at that point, do I want to see Deadpool come over to Avengers? No, no. no. <laughs> I, it makes sense for him to be integrated with the X-Men, but let, let's let's keep it at that. And yeah. I don't necessarily need to see like the the old school or the like the fan four stick guys show up in Avengers. Well, yeah, well, we don't need fan yeah. four stick. And it, between the two, I think the but fan I wouldn't but I wouldn't be against Marvel Studios officially doing their own kind of. Yeah, like doing their own reboot of Fantastic Four that I'm in favor of, because yeah. unlike the X-Men, the Fantastic Four aren't as established. And so. No. That would be a good way to give us a clean slate. Plus, it would give them the chance to bring in probably the best villain in the Marvel Universe, yes. Dr. Victor Von Doom. How, I mean, how, can he, how can we live in a world where so many movies have screwed this guy up? How can we live in a world where this happened? Well, yeah, and so especially given with what we got in Infinity War, after like after Thanos, if there was ever a villain that could probably match Thanos' level of, like, of on-screen charisma, it would be Doctor Doom, and especially if, if especially if they reestablish Reed Richards, maybe not even establish the Fantastic Four, but maybe just the Future Foundation, and just have that be the way they introduce it. Of okay, he's just someone who's established this foundation for smart, super-powered kids. Maybe even have it where Tony Stark gave a grant to the Future Foundation, and that's how yeah. you bring Reed Richards in. Because again, Doctor Doom is very much a very like large looming threat. They, they're yeah. he's probably the most dangerous human person that any of the Avengers have ever faced. And so, if there was anything that would come out of the Fox buyout, that is what I would want to see: is a good, faithful Marvel Cinematic Universe version of Doctor Doom. We and, need that. And the other thing too that we should probably address here, because I know a lot of people are asking for this specifically, is like you're going to bring Wolverine over. The Avengers have faced off against Magneto. The problem is, is that um, I think Magneto is so integrated now with the X-Men movies that if you tried to do him, it wouldn't really work. And the bottom line is, let's just all be honest with each other. You aren't necessarily interested in seeing um, who's who's the new one that plays him. Um, Michael Fassbender. Michael, you're not interested in seeing Fassbender. You're interested in seeing Ian McKellen. And I don't know if I want that. Yeah. I don't know if I want old Magneto going up against the Avengers. Well, yeah, plus, Sir Ian and Sir Patrick have both made it clear that after they're days, done. Yeah, they're yeah. done. Like. Logan gave Patrick Stewart the send-off he needed as Professor X. And I, I would actually dare say that uh, the Days of Future Past gave gave Magneto what he needed. Or gave Ian McKellen what he needed. Yeah, and plus just trying to, especially considering the timeline thing, trying to make that line up with the Marvel Cinematic yeah. Universe. I mean, granted, given that Days of Future Past, you have it go back to, like, I mean, a good example. X-Men Apocalypse, that takes place in the 80s. But then by trying to integrate a, the modern mutants, that raises the question of why the hell does no one remember when, you know, mutants tried to assassinate the president of the United States, uh, President Nixon and all of that. It just raises more questions <coughs> than any possible answers. I mean, a way well, because we had to retcon the movies. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there could be a way to get around that where maybe instead of trying to bring in the established X-Men movies is just 
starting with a clean slate, either having these separate Fox branded X-Men movies and then just maybe bringing one or two characters. That's honestly what I feel like they did with with First Class is they they eventually kind of acknowledged the flaws that the original trilogy gave them. And so they finally said, OK, we need we need some kind of a retcon here. We need we need yeah. to make it so that we don't have to adhere to these. And that's why they came up with Days of Future Past to be able to give that retcon. That way they could do Apocalypse and later on a Dark Phoenix storyline. Yeah. And so and uh, so bringing again, it's like it just shows trying to bring in X-Men, trying to bring the established movies into the canon. It's not possible. It's not possible. You would have to basically start over from scratch or not necessarily from scratch, but you would have to address the question of how are these mutants like where were they during the battle in New York? Where were they during all these other events? How are they hidden? I mean, especially with the Scarlet Witch. Granted, she is kind of in the context of the comics. She's kind of the big reset button for the universe. So you could. Yeah. Use her powers to explain how maybe suddenly mutants get brought in or even use that to explain how the movies are suddenly mashed in. But again, that raises more questions than answers. It really does. Uh, moving on into the next question that we actually do have. And this one's going to be a little bit more difficult to answer for people because everybody wants to go into that speculation story of who could join the, the MCU next and who could who could be the next big hero to be able to feature, you know, like we've, we've had those big, big discussions on the podcast of like Captain Marvel is just is going to get hers, uh, get her day in the spotlight. We've also had big heroes like uh, like Ant-Man show up. But the question that I want to get into here is who do we feel is not worthy of that treatment? Who who doesn't make the MCU in Europe? And I'm talking the cinematic universe. I'm not. I'm not talking about like the Netflix stuff or anything like that, because those are their own kind of formula and, and other things to honor. Who do you feel shouldn't get a Marvel movie and thus get thrown into the Marvel Cinematic Universe continuity? And I'm going to go ahead and piss off a lot of people because I've seen a lot of people make this argument that it should happen. And I'm against it is the Punisher. Mm. I do look, I get that the Punisher is a nineties hit. I get that he is like, especially the, the new, the new guy who's playing him in the Netflix series. A lot of people like his portrayal of Frank Castle. I don't like Frank Castle. I don't like that character. And frankly, I think he's way too dark for what the Marvel cinematic universe is trying to convey. Cor uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. But I really don't want to see a Punisher well, movie. And I think that's kind of why they all... Because the Netflix shows are part of the cinematic universe they in are. the sense that they take place. But I think I like how they have it where, okay, we have these heroes, Daredevil, Punisher, Luke Cage. They just kind of function in their own separate yeah. sphere in the MCU. You're not going to see them joining up with the other heroes. Because no, you see the events happening around them, but they're dealing with the well, yeah. thing. Especially considering that compared to like people like Thor, like Hulk, they're just outclass. I mean, the only one who could stand any, who could actually contribute to any like large scale battle in any meaningful way would be Luke Cage and maybe Iron Fist because you could maybe see Iron Fist tying into Doctor Strange's sphere of influence a little bit. But even then, it's kind of a case of, it's very much, they, they have been established as kind of a lower tier set of heroes with lower tier set of powers yeah, it just wouldn't really work to try to bring them into a movie. And, and that and you run into actor disputes and with wage with wages and stuff like that. That and the other problem that, that comes into that is that a lot of the stuff that makes them who they are and, and why people love them is the huge arcs that they go through through via the comics. You can't do that in an hour and a half, two and a half hours. You've got to have like a ten episode arc. And that's why Punisher, Daredevil, Iron Fist, all of those work better in a television esque format is so you can actually go into those nuances and make them look really, really good. Uh, so for me, it's The Punisher. Alex, who would you say is not deserving of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I'm not sure I have anybody because I, the only one that comes to mind is Deadpool, and that wouldn't happen anyway. So. <laughs> People are pushing for it, but I, I, I think that since he's so entrenched into the X-Men movies... The, yeah, I don't think you can make yeah. it work. Not to mention, it's the same problem as the Punisher. Too, like he's very much an R-rated character. He, he very Disney much would not want him anywhere near the PG-13 cash cow that is the Avengers. I mean, they can probably lampshade that in a Deadpool movie making but fun of that. But then the Deadpool fans will get pissed off because you have to edit it. Yeah, you'd have to water him down. And But we already have a PG-13 version of Deadpool. He's called Spider-Man. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, exactly. So at that point, it, it would be like Deadpool. What, what about, um, since you're you're bringing these up, like you, when, when we brought up Wolverine possibly getting brought into the Avengers, you kind of had a sigh there. Do, do you not want that either? No. Okay, you, you just want him to maintain that continuity. Yeah. Yeah, Wolverine should just be X-Men, I think. Okay, all right. And I kind of agree on that, considering that 
at that point you have to explain why Wolverine's there and and, you, and it's already established in other movies he's a mutant. So at that point it's like, oh, mutants do exist. And the MCU has gone out of their way to show like, no, these aren't mutants. These aren't. I mean, yeah, they tried have, to they tried to frame the Inhumans as the mutants yeah, of the like MCU. you have Inhumans, but that's it. Um, so at that point, like who, who would you say Romney does not deserve a Marvel cinematic universe treatment? That's tough because I'm just thinking in terms of characters that wouldn't work. Cause I mean, there are characters that would work. I mean, speculating as a character that they'll probably add in addition to Captain Marvel, they'll probably try to add in Nova because you've got the Nova core. Yeah. They've already kind of established Xandar at this point. So it would make sense. Yeah. And so I guess in terms of the one character and I don't read a lot of Marvel comics, but I think the one character they should keep away from it. And it kind of piggybacks on Alex's thing is that they shouldn't try to add some of the newer ones like Gwenpool because Gwenpool raises the same issues. Oh, I didn't even think about her because I kind of lumped her in with Deadpool. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. A lot of people lump her in with Deadpool, even though and I'm I read the comic and it's actually really good. It's just trying to add Gwenpool to the MCU, although she is more PG-13 and could work. It's just her abilities would raise more questions than answers, given that the whole premise is that she's basically what Deadpool used to be able to do, where she's aware of the fact that she's in the comic, and she can literally, at least as established in the, cur at the current point in the comics, she's literally able to disappear into the gutters of a comic book and basically mess around with reality yeah. on that front. And so it's a case of, that is a character that would just be straight up impossible to do as a movie. Yeah. I mean, you could... But it would, if you were to do it as a movie, it would have to be as a complete farce, just taking a full, basically roasting the MCU like, I could at large. Maybe, I could maybe see her showing up in a Deadpool movie, and that's it. Yeah, or like but even, even then, it's so hard to. Yeah, to like make most it work. I can see is them doing kind of like what they did with Deadpool at first by having an episode of one of the cartoons referencing it. Because with Ultimate Spider-Man, they had the Deadpool episode, yeah. and with Gwenpool, I can see them doing that with the newer run of the Marvel cartoons that are trying to be more in line with the MCU. But that's about it, because she's just a character yeah. that it would take way too much time to try to establish and figure out how to make sense of her abilities and Pretty translate much. that to film. And and so that's like one character that I hope they don't ever try to, especially given that it's very much that you don't want to run into the same problem that Deadpool ran into where they oversaturate her appearance. Because I remember back when the MCU was becoming large, we had literally like five Deadpool comics, separate series yeah. coming out every month. And that's something that Gwenpool, she just wouldn't work. Which I think ultimately ended up in, like, him killing everything. Well, yeah, actually. like, basically they had to cancel series left and right because you had Deadpool, Deadpool Family, and, like, Deadpool Core, Deadpool Team Up. And I, th I know there was a fifth one, but point being, there was just too many Deadpool series that they literally had to get take an axe to them because yeah, it, basically it, it, Deadpool it was becoming the face of Marvel. Yeah, it literally became like, to, to me, it was like beating a dead horse. Like, yeah. you're already having Deadpool in way too yeah, many Deadpool things. Max, that's the fifth one I was thinking Deadpool of. Deadpool Max. Okay, so at, at this point... Um, so yeah, Gwenpool so is Gwen kind of the character is that because it would just be way too difficult to try to establish her. I mean, granted they could... If, if basically the only way I can see it is if it's basically the equivalent of just a full-on farce making fun of the Marvel movies... But that would basically be the equivalent of almost like one of those like commentaries that Team Four Star did for Dragon Ball Evolution. Yeah. That would be the closest we could get. But even then, that would be a tough sell to a mainstream audience. Okay. Uh, and so we're, we're actually kind of running out of time here. But the last question that, that people wanted us to get into, and I think it's appropriate at this point because we're we're already hitting like kind of a kind of a slump with Avengers. Like it's very difficult to see like where they're going to go next. Um, and so a, a lot of people wanted to ask, like, what other storylines would we like to see them go into uh, in the future? Now, for me, that's already happened. Uh, I got what I wanted because I didn't think you could do the Infinity Stones on camera. I, I thought that was way too complex an arc to be able to put that in there. And obviously we're getting Infinity War and we're getting Infinity War Part 2 next year. So at that point, I kind of got what I want. Romney, is there a storyline that you think should be done in the MCU. Well, not so much a storyline, but I can think of a character and that's a, a, at least some characters. And it doesn't necessarily need to be just Avengers. Like, it, like if you want a specific arc for a character. Well, in terms of the, I guess the easiest one to explain, it kind of dovetails is that one character I would want them to try to bring in as another possible villain would be Kang the Conqueror, who literally tries to conquer past, present, yeah. future. And so with the time travel mechanics of see, we already see alex kind of slumping off going oh no avengers with time travel well yeah and see here's the reason why i would want them to introduce kang the conqueror because then it would lead to probably one of my favorite teams well before they wrecked it by adding kid loki 
and that is the Young Avengers. Because, uh, yeah. because fascinating thing, because the way they could lead into it, especially if they wanted to kill off character act, kill off characters that they couldn't afford the actors anymore, because there's the Avengers disassembled storyline where basically Wanda goes crazy after basically being told that the children she had with Vision could, don't actually exist because and that she created them with her reality bending powers. And she goes completely nuts and ends up killing half the team because her brain just can't comprehend the fact that her children don't actually exist. Yeah. And then that leads into the to the events of Avengers Disassembled, where basically the team, again, disbands because, well, one of our main members went crazy and killed a whole bunch of people. Okay. And then that leads to the Young Avengers. And the thing that's fascinating, I'm, it would initially be a spoiler, but given that the comic run is like 10 years old at this point, I think it's safe to say... The main person who brings the Young Avengers together is named Iron Lad. But the key thing is that he is a young version of Kang the Conqueror. Because Kang the Conqueror traveled back in time to try to convince his younger self to join along with his scheme. But upon seeing that he became a villain, he's just like, no, I'm not going to become Kang the Conqueror. Yeah. So he travels back in time to try to stop Kang from becoming Kang. And so naturally, he, he travels back in time. And the first people he tries to go to, he, he tries to find the Avengers. But he comes in right after the events of Avengers Disassembled, meaning that none of them are wanting to work together. They're not even going to listen to a thing he has to say. And so he basically has to find new people to basically form a new Avengers team. Yeah. And so that would be what I would, an arc I would want to see them explore is seeing these young Avengers having to fill in for when the main Avengers are no longer available. And All that right. leads to probably some of my favorite characters like Hulkling and and. First, he's called Asgardian, but then changes it to Wiccan. And then you also have Patriot. You basically have a lot of interesting characters there. Yeah. And so the way to lead into it, it would be to establish Kang the Conqueror and then leading into kind of the after effects of them dealing with a villain like Kang, who literally is a time travel based villain. All right. Uh, so for you, you don't necessarily know a lot of the comic storylines, but there are some storylines that were recreated in tv series and everything like that what would you actually like to see done in a marvel cinematic and again it doesn't have to be avengers it could just be like the one hero kind of thing oh i really don't know because i don't know any storylines okay. off the top of my head oh so you, so you can't think of anything for like spider-man that you'd like to see them do not really because unfortunately it's been such a long time since i've seen the animated series and the only thing that really sticks in my mind is the is the Venom storyline, the symbiote storyline. And it would be good to have an actual, uh, an actual Venom, uh, Venom execution work, but well, we, we did we're we are technically getting it. It's just being released by Sony. Well, yeah. And it, it's more of Venom comic book. I'm talking like having a Spider-Man movie that actually does deal with the Venom storyline and, and Peter getting swallowed by the symbiote and having to deal with that. That would be really cool to do. I don't know if I would necessarily want Tom Holland to go through yeah, it. Because especially as established, this version of Peter Parker is way too young. And yeah. it kind of relates because they at the showing I went to, they played a trailer for Venom prior to the movie. And it's kind of the case. One of the key things that made Venom work in the comics is Eddie Brock's rivalry and hatred towards Peter Parker. He exactly. He yeah. doesn't know Peter Parker is Spider-Man, but... The fact that he dislikes both Spider-Man and, and Peter Parker is what allows the symbiote to really convince and kind of poison his mind of, hey, these two people have ruined your life. Let's basically ruin theirs. Yeah, yet another problem that I have with the Raimi films is like we didn't, you know, like they, they basically tried to hammer in that Brock was always one-upping one Peter or Peter was always one-upping one Eddie Brock. And so at that point, it would have actually been a really good thing to see him in high school being one-upped by Peter and, and then going into movie two and seeing all the things that happened yeah, and eventually I, leading into Eddie Brock becoming Venom. I mean, alternately, it could work with Tom Holland. In if I mean, it's a bit off the wall, but when you consider, okay, imagine you have... Would it, would it be interesting to maybe, like, because I, I know that there's one continuity where... Eddie Brock isn't Venom. They actually tried to do this weird experiment where Flash Thompson became it. And since Flash in, in Homecoming is kind of a dick, could he fit the Eddie Brock kind well, of well, flow? Well, here's the approach I would take. Rather than have trying to transition it to Flash Thompson, you would have Eddie Brock but established as an adult because naturally you would have... If, if you uh, have getting foiled constantly by a kid, yeah, getting foiled constantly by this high school kid who's like, oh, how is this this dumb kid getting pictures of Spider-Man when I've been trying to get pictures for months? Yeah. Naturally, that would feed into the animosity towards Peter, but it's not an animosity he can act on because he can't go up and throttle a kid because he's a kid. So naturally, okay. it would fester. It would basically be kept inside, thus allowing Venom, the symbiote, to play upon that. And it's like, oh, hey, you 
okay, you can't unleash this anger, but we can. Let's unleash. And that would allow for that relationship between Eddie Brock and the symbiote because that's an essential thing. It's that the symbiote is pulling on Eddie's darker emotions and using that to basically convince him to let him do what he wants. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that, actually. That that would that would work pretty well. Problem is, it would be too dark for the MCU at large because that's the thing. And that's why Sony is maybe going the darker direction. But you'll, no, you'll notice that that's kind of the pattern that we have here is a lot of the stuff that we're, we're saying can't be done is either it literally can't be done or it's too dark for, for the MCU. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go ahead and go into our final question before we uh, wrap things up, which is basically where do we see the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward? Now, uh, this, I'm, I'm not even going to limit things to just movies because, again, Marvel Cinematic Universe is done by Marvel Studios. Now, Marvel Studios does Netflix series, as we've mentioned. They've uh, I know that they don't do the animated series that's still left up to Disney animation. Yeah, but they but at least with recent they kind of control the, the direction, but that's about it. Well, yeah, they kind of control the direction, but they do try to keep keep it unified. Yeah, because they tried it with Ultimate Spider-Man, but then with them being able to do homecoming with the new spider-man cartoon they've kind of retconned events so that way it will still kind of sort of maybe tie in so what where would we actually like to see the the cinematic universe going forward do we like the formula that that they're going for would we like to see them go into other avenues like say going into video games and having connectivity with the video games and things like that so Let's go ahead and start off with Alex. Where would you like to see the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward? I wouldn't mind uh, them going into video games, just not making the video games require just more like extra. Maybe, but so like we, we say that the Netflix ones are, are part of the, the universe as a whole, but they are really their own separate continuity. You know, crap's happening around them, you know, because they talk about monsters in New York and everything like that but they are their own kind of separate continuity. So that's kind of what you would like. They have, so you're aware of the events at large. There's weird stuff happening in New York, but you'd rather have them just kind of have their own unique continuity. Yes. Okay. Uh, For me, I would actually see again, kind of lumping into where I was before, like the, the good superhero movies, as far as I was concerned, were the animated ones. I'd like to see Marvel studios kind of take hold of the animated series that are existing right now, because um, where I loved Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the, the Avengers series that came out just before Avengers, the movie. Uh, I do not like the variation that they did later called Avengers Assembled, which is roughly the same people. Um, I don't like the variation, but the only the only thing that I know that, that's different is that Joe Quesada was a little bit more involved with Assembled than he was with Earth's Mightiest Heroes and wanted a more serious take, whereas uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes is more of a comedic take. So like there, there are going to be some some hilarious moments. I would like to see Marvel Studios actually kind of take over the animated rights kind of thing and actually kind of guide the directions from here on. Because as you kind of pointed out, Romney, we've got a Spider-Man series coming. And as much as I liked Ultimate Spider-Man, I do think that it had some missteps here and there. It would be great to actually have a a Spider-Man series with Marvel Studios at the helm for it. Um, And and there, there are a couple that I actually think could be done for movies. I'm not necessarily going for series, but I would love to have... uh, an animated feature based on Captain Marvel just before the, the live action one, just to get people up to speed with it. Um, there, and there are also some, just some heroes that I don't, I don't think will ever work in the MCU and, and the movies like we've seen with DC where you can Mm -hmm. go a little bit darker. You could do a daredevil movie that way. You could, you could do a bunch of those things and it makes more sense. Um, where, where are you at Romney? Where would you like to see the MCU going forward? Well, as for the direction I'm seeing now, it's probably going to more or less be business as usual. What they'll find ways to kind of artificially extend it. One thing I would like for them to see is to maybe diversify a little bit. I don't mean like in the case of trying to establish like a separate universe, but off the kind of just spitballing here off the top of my head, one thing I would like to see would be kind of a Marvel horror movie imprint. That way it would allow them to explore characters like Ghost Rider as well as, well, yeah. their long-running Rites of Dracula comic and everything that's tied into that. Just having kind of something that, like uh, the net... That'd, that'd be great to have Dracula in the Marvel Universe well, to yeah. see him making deals with Doctor Doom. Well, Marvel he, Dark Universe. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, But instead of it being a universe, it's just, okay, like the Netflix series, this is just stuff that happens <laughs> in the same universe, but in its own separate sphere. Sorry, Alex is basically saying that they should outdo the Dark Universe that never existed. <laughs> yes. Which, well, given that Marvel has an established one they at least know what they're doing dude you know what i'd I'd actually pay money to see a scene in dracula's castle where he is having a diplomatic conversation with dr doom i would love it well that that would that would be something that i would want to see in addition that would be how i would approach is that okay we have kind of a marvel horror imprint where 
You could use a character like Ghost Rider, which has been established in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as the linchpin, where, okay, Ghost Rider, frequently dealing with demons and monsters, and so you have Ghost Rider then lead to a, a version of Rites of Dracula, as well as exploring characters like Mephisto and a lot of those other darker, otherworldly beings. And you could even tie in Doctor Strange a little bit, even having it where... Oh, yeah. Like, even having it where maybe Doctor Strange has to deal with Dracula for one movie and then lead that, have that be the segue of okay, we established now that Dracula exists in this universe. Which is where, we're, again, what we're seeing a lot with the... So the, the DC live-action movies aren't doing very very well, but from what I can tell, the sales of the DVDs for the animated movies do really well. I, I, I know, for example, um, Justice League versus Teen Titans did fairly well, so did Justice League Dark. Uh, so at that point, that might be another avenue for Marvel to go into. Yeah, plus it would allow for the other darker characters. In addition to Ghost Rider, we also have Blade, which... I mean, we don't necessarily need to get Wesley Snipes back, but maybe reestablishing a new version of Blade, maybe as a Netflix series, just showing. Hey. I know a lot of people screamed, uh, screen praises for the voice of the anime version of Blade. And, and so if you brought him back. Well, yeah. And so that and so that could be something that they could explore is just having like a set much like the Netflix shows or even as Netflix shows, just having a OK, this is the side of the Marvel Universe that deals with horror, that deals with monsters. You could even have it tie into things like the Wendigo Although the X-Men have faced the Wendigo, you could actually explore the actual mythology around the Wendigo yeah. and not just the Wendigo as seen in the comics. And so that'd be one thing I would want to see is them kind of having a separate horror-based imprint with Ghost Rider and Blade. Mm. But another thing that I would want to see them bring into the main MCU would be characters like Hercules and kind of saying like, okay, where does the That Greek... would be interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially watching a character like Hercules bounce off of Thor or even just having a straight-up fight between Thor and Hercules... We all would want that. Uh, oh, yeah, that, that would be awesome. I love Bruce Campbell to play him. Now, I'd see Bruce Campbell probably playing Zeus because they in the way. Yeah, they just... in the Marvel continuity, Bruce Campbell needs to be Zeus. Yeah, especially yeah. given that Zeus is written as kind of the lecherous, nepotistic sort of CEO. It's yeah. kind of a case of, hey, Bruce Campbell would be perfect as Zeus. And just having again, bringing in that more comedic, but again, going into more of the magical side of things of the MCU but in a different way. It's like, okay, well, we've established that the Asgardian pantheon, that the Norse pantheon exists. Okay, well, were there ever interactions between the people of Asgard with the ancient gods of Greece? And that'd be something I would want to see explored in, a, in some way, shape, or form. As, yeah. And again, I'm just thinking now, it's like, okay, I want to see Hercules fighting Thor. I mean, I'm sure yeah, we it wouldn't even need to be like, oh, it's a misunderstanding. It could even just be a simple sparring match between just like, hey, you're pretty strong. Let's see, let's go toe to toe and see who's stronger. Uh, agreed. Uh, the other thing, too, that I, I think we can all kind of agree on uh, to wrap things up is that um, as much as we like the pace of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I don't think it's wrong to, to give the, this criticism. We don't need to have these things going on for the next 10 or so years. It's been great that we've had 10 years worth of Marvel Cinematic Universe films to look forward to. But if they wanted to take a break at some point, I wouldn't necessarily be against yeah. that either. They should at the very least kind of dial back the output because it's yeah. kind of oversaturating the box office and... And not even just in terms of preventing other films from standing a chance. It's just, it's exhausting. A lot of people are starting to get burnt out on superhero films. Yeah. And so what I would recommend for the Marvel Cinematic Universe after they've wrapped up the current storyline is maybe get back to only putting out one, maybe two a year. And that's it. And, and we've, we've had this discussion on the podcast a number of times. It just feels like, again, we like the Marvel films um, and, and we're kind of 50-50 on the Star Wars stuff and all that. But it really just feels like Disney is kind of running out of ideas. And so what they try and do is they recapture the magic that got the money so many years ago. That's why we have so many live action re-releases that are happening. And eventually Marvel's going to kind of fall into this formula. And so is Star Wars. And so at that point, I don't see a reason to say, okay, let's put out a Star Wars trilogy and then wait 10 years kind of thing and, and let, let things kind of die down. Um, same thing with Marvel is that eventually like after these four Avengers movies, I have no problem with waiting like two, three, maybe even five years and then rebuilding to another team up kind of thing that j just like we did with 2008 to 2012. Yeah. So at that point, I, I think we've all kind of come to that agreement too, yeah. where yeah. Um, that would be something we'd love to see too. Yeah. If, but if at the very least, please Disney do not put them in kingdom hearts. We do not 
need a Marvel world in Kingdom Hearts. Oh man, we we get such hatred for that because people want to see that happen. Guys, you don't even realize you're getting it. Like we we're already wrong anyway because Big Hero Six is showing it. Well, Big, Big Hero Six, I'm, I kind of file that as like an exception because that was an animated but it, but it movie. Is, but it's technically Marvel, so at yeah. that point, like you are getting what you want. But I know what you guys want. You want Captain America. You want Iron Man. I don't want them in here because they just don't fit. No. And as it was, we, it was, as we saw in Kingdom Hearts Two, pirates. Yeah, didn't it, fit. it was already awkward with the pick with the not Johnny Depp. Jack Sparrow it was just it was weird like Tron was acceptable Pirates wasn't because like Tron had elements that would have made sense in Kingdom Hearts Pirates just was just they wanted to throw pirates in there so with that let's go ahead and wrap things up if people want to get a hold of us for the various content that we actually provide or talk to us about this episode Alex the Shadow Blazer how do they get a hold of you find me on YouTube Shadow Blazer 3000 is my channel and I make anime related content on it and follow me on social media at Alex J Short on Twitter and I think the most recent one was, uh, I think this was you, where, where you gave your opinions on Shirobako season two. That was a while ago. Oh, okay. All right. All right, all right. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was the most recent one because somebody had that come up. I thought it was you. Um, so, all right. That's the way to be able to get a hold of the Shadow Blazer. Steven Romney, how do people get a hold of you? Well, my handle both on Facebook and YouTube is Studio Ghost Utah. I am currently uploading videos both to the Facebook page and YouTube because yep. YouTube is YouTube. And I am also available on Twitter at Romney Reviews. I don't have a recommendation because I don't do that on this show. So <laughs> no, not really. Uh, but but true words have never been spoken. YouTube is YouTube. Uh, and if people want to get a hold of me, the best way to be able to do so is on my Twitter at Drac2326. You can also follow my YouTube channel, Drac2326 on YouTube. On Facebook, all you have to do is look up Drac LP. And if you want to follow the podcast directly, specifically, here's the, the first thing that we always recommend is follow the RSS feed. That's where we get the support. Uh, you can go to whywegeek.podomatic.com or you can look up the Why We Geek podcast on iTunes and Google Play for Android users. It is available for all of you guys uh, to enjoy. And uh, pretty much all the episodes are out by this point. In fact, the, the previous one was Shonen Anime that we did with uh, Shay Terry on YouTube. So you guys can check that out. And if you want to follow Why We Geek on social media, we technically don't have a Facebook page yet, but you can follow uh, the Why We Geek podcast on Twitter at Why We Geek. And so that's the way to be able to keep, get a hold of the podcast directly. And if you have suggestions, you can also reach out on whywegeek at gmail.com. Uh, and that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode. Thank you guys so much. First of all, to my panelists for showing up because we've, we've done a double header here. We did an Infinity War review. If you guys haven't seen that on Geek News on that RSS feed, We've also done this here, and you guys can look forward to next month where uh, Stephen Romney will be rejoining us as we get into another superhero team, but one that's a little bit more historyed. as in June we cover Super Sentai. So we'll see you guys then. Thank you guys for listening.